if the European Union wants Latin America's support for more effective coordination on democratic values at the global level, it will need to uh, acknowledge that in the future, international democracy support will need to give more voice to other states outside the EU and North America. The Democracy in Practice series by Club de Madrid gathers the voices of democratic former presidents and prime ministers who leverage their individual and collective leadership experience to strengthen inclusive democratic practice today to better deliver towards the well-being of people around the world. Welcome to Club de Madrid podcast series Democracy in Practice. I am Ruben Campos, a programs coordinator at Club de Madrid, and I will be your host today. You are listening to this episode in the series on 2022 of this podcast, and we are going to discuss the theme of shared democratic values between the European Union, Latin America, and the Caribbean. The Club de Madrid, with the support of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, European Union and Cooperation of Spain, is contributing to the efforts of strengthening the relationship, this strategic relationship between the European Union and Latin America and the Caribbean. In preparation for the Spanish presidency of the European Council in 2023, when among other things, there will be a summit between both regions. The countries of the European Union, Latin America and the Caribbean consist of almost a third of the members of the United Nations, and are largely represented in international governmental inter initiatives like the G20. A strategic alignment based on shared values between these regions will decisively transform the multilateral agenda and address global challenges, if happening. But so far, this is something that is on the process. This episode will hopefully identify elements, mechanisms, and proposals that can be needed to facilitate this strengthening. And our first guest today is Richard Jones. Uh, Richard is a senior fellow in the Democracy, Conflict and Governance Program at Carnegie Europe, and he's also co-founder of the European Democracy Hub, a joint initiative of Carnegie Europe and the European Partnership for Democracy. Uh, European Partnership for Democracy is a network of European NGOs working on democracy support, uh, of which Club de Madrid is a proud member. And this European Democracy Hub that Richard has facilitated uh, his creation brings together analysts and policymakers engaged with EU democracy support and democratic challenge in Europe. In this capacity, Richard has kindly accepted to be the pen holder of a paper on democracy and the rule of law as shared values between these two regions, and is dedicated to reflect on the state and the future of democracy in this context. Uh, so we will welcome you, Richard, and thank you for joining for this podcast. Hi, Robin. Hi. Very good. So let's go into the conversation. Uh, to start, I would like to, uh, for you, Richard, to briefly reflect on how do you see the relationship uh, between these two regions from a democracy and human rights perspective? In the paper, you have pointed that the dynamic at the moment is not so much about the shared values, but much more about shared challenge. So I would like to hear uh, your views about this to start. Well, I think it's certainly the case that the two regions are beginning to pay more attention to each other. I think the plans of the Spanish presidency are very, very positive and exciting uh, in this sense. Um, over the last few years, it's uh, tr trade is the issue that's really dominated the agenda, understandably so, as the EU looks to counter Chinese influence in the region and Latin American states look for some kind of d diversification of their 
economic relations. To that trade agenda now is added the geopolitical context in the aftermath of the Ukraine invasion and the, the sharpening of geopolitical tensions more globally as well. So I think we have a, an economic dimension and a more strategic dimension to this relationship, which is driving both regions to look at how, how they can give more substance to their the relations be between themselves. Um, as is always the case, and it's been the case for quite some number of years, when the two sides meet, they tend to talk fairly easily about their shared democratic values. So I think next year's summit, it's probably trade and security issues that will dominate, but democratic issues will have a place uh, on the agenda. Uh, that's um, understandable to some degree, but um, I don't think we should underestimate how difficult it will be to give some concrete substance uh, to these democratic values at the summit. Both sides tend to talk rather easily about uh, how they share democratic values uh, and less about how those same democratic values have been challenged within both regions in uh, recent years. Indices show that uh, democratic values, democratic quality has suffered somewhat in, in both regions. Um, at the summit, there will be governments that are not democratic from both regions. There will be governments who, while being uh, nominally formally democratic and nominally committed to greater dem democratic coordination at home, are acting in often in ways that are rather illiberal. So um, I would say that the democracy part of the agenda in the summit next year will be one of shared values, but also shared challenges. And it will actually be difficult to get these democratic issues included on the agenda in any concrete way. In a sense, the very difficulties that democracy is experiencing in both regions make it even more necessary for these political issues to find a place on the summit. Uh, but I don't think we should um, uh, dismiss how difficult it will be to give them some degree of concrete impetus. Yes. So, so in your view, what can be the um, a reasonable level of ambition no, for the summit in terms of these issues? I think both sides will commit to certain generic principles and coordination in multilateral organizations as they normally tend to do. That's the easy part of the, the human rights democracy agenda. It would be much more difficult for them to address concrete issues that are actually undermining democracy in individual uh, states. I think uh, with the summit dominated by the governments that will be at the table, I don't think we can expect too much progress um, at that level, it may be it may be that initiatives at the level of civil society, uh, civil society cooperation and partnership between the two regions is the level at which uh, more concrete progress can be made, at least in the in the short term. I think the question then is uh, how far the summit can reflect challenges that are related specifically to the um, geopolitical context in the aftermath of the Ukraine invasion. We know that from the European side, one of the main motivations for EU foreign policy beginning to tighten its strategic partnerships in Asia, Africa, and Latin America is the perception that Western countries need to tighten alliances 
faced with this very fraught geopolitical context um, in the wake of the Ukraine invasion. We also know that Latin American democracies so far have resisted, generally resisted framing the Ukraine invasion as being one between democracy and autocracy. President Zelensky and most EU leaders have framed the invasion as being one between different governance systems. Latin American democratic leaders so far have been disinclined to frame the conflict in this way. So I think this will be one point of quite uh, fierce debate and deliberation at the summit. And I think the question is open as to whether the generally uh, fairly predictable and ritualistic talk about shared democratic values can be given any kind of strategic relevance that is actually directly related to the new geopolitical scenario we face. Yes, yes. And I hope you mentioned, I mean, the role of civil society, um, uh, which is going to accompany all this process. And um, how do you see that in, in practical terms? No, because there are certain issues in which I think civil society on both sides of the Atlantic, I mean, uh, Latin America and Caribbean and European Union, can have uh, at least a clear views no, on how to approach, like, I don't know, women's rights or uh, independent media. And you mentioned that in your paper. But how about specific democratic abuses no, and, and situations in both regions no, that are uh, difficult for the states, I mean, to to, uh, to refer because some of them are committing these abuses. Uh, and what kind of role do you think civil society can have in this context from, from both regions? Yeah, I think you put your finger on the key point, Ruben. I think for all the pro-democracy rhetoric we will hear at this summit, unfortunately, there will be governments on both sides uh, that will not be keen on supporting in any concrete way to, uh, democratic initiatives that question their own undermining of democratic quality. And it's not just the two or three uh, most authoritarian governments we know uh, exist on both sides in both regions, uh, but some of the formerly democratic countries who increasingly have acted in rather illiberal ways as well. So if it is the case that governments block or at least are not keen on taking forward this more political part of the agenda at the summit, it seems to me that the area where clearly there are shared values and potential for cooperation would be at the level of cooperation between Latin American civil society, which is very dynamic and committed, and uh, European civil society, on the other hand, they could work on a number of issues, um, for example, how to improve um, regional uh, democracy clauses and mechanisms, uh, the, the mechanisms of regional bodies in both regions that to date have failed really to act as guarantors, as protectors of democratic breakdown. Uh, civil society could explore the issue of populism. These are the two regions in the world that have been, um, that have, uh, where populist forces have gained uh, most traction and the relationship between these populist forces and democratic quality is a very real one and a very complex one that civil society forces could uh, be working on across the two regions. And civil society uh, in both regions has been at the forefront of exploring new kinds of democratic innovation, new kinds of democratic practice. It's not just a, an issue of democracy 
uh, facing very severe challenges in both regions, but citizens in both regions wanting new ways of engaging with uh, decision-making and democratic accountability. So civil society also at that level, I think would be well-placed to give some more dynamic and exciting content to this agenda in the margins of the summit. Great. And what about going back to, to states no? and, and governmental initiatives? And are there anyone that, uh, I mean, you have referred to some of them in some ideas in the paper. Do you want to explain uh, a couple of them uh, as examples? No, how governments can uh, really take advantage of this opportunity of the SAMI no? to a strengthened relationship? The paper goes into quite detailed policy options, but as an overarching principle, I, I would say this, that um, I think the two regions need to work through what their partnership means in this new geopolitical context. There is a skepticism at the moment from Latin American states, as there is from African or Asian states, that the EU is suddenly interested in forming new strategic partnerships around the issue of democratic values uh, because of its own strategic interests and its own feelings of vulnerability in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, that's a point that is often made. It's not a new point. Um, European leaders, EU leaders have made the point that they do need to listen and make sure that um, this, this is a generally two-way agenda in terms of the way that uh, support for democracy is framed and defined. It's still proving difficult to give this democracy agenda uh, that uh, feeling of being co-owned and jointly created by different regions. Latin American states will be skeptical that they are suddenly being asked to sign up to a, a, an agenda that's shaped around the EU's geopolitical interests. As the point that's often made, exactly how a sentiment of a more equally balanced partnership is to be framed around democratic values is one I think needs to be given a, a lot of thought. If, Europe, if the European Union wants Latin America's support for more effective coordination on democratic values at the global level, it will need to uh, acknowledge that in the future, international democracy support will need to give more voice to other states outside the EU and North America. I think that at the rhetorical level, there's some uh, increasing willingness to recognize that, but in practice, it's still not really happening on the ground. I think the summit next year between the EU and Latin America will be a, an interesting and important test case for whether international democracy support can, at least to some extent, be de-Westernized and given a more truly global character. Yeah, and you are proposing in the paper uh, this EU lack defending democracy fund, no? Uh, are, are really, I mean, uh, tool, no? That can put both regions at the same level in terms of um, the ideas of uh, the democracy support, uh, and I think that's uh, well, that's 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 the way, no? In which um, many of the persons who have been consulted in this process. Uh, during this uh, project on how to strengthen the relationship between uh, the two regions, especially from Latin America, has pointed no, that it will be quite important no, that the relation is on equal footing no, and, and the, this perception of the European Union uh, should be uh, overcome, no, that, uh, that uh, is a Western-centric uh, agenda. 
Yeah, I think we should keep our expectations at a reasonable level. I'm not sure the summit will lead to a major breakthrough in, in the global politics of democratic reform. But I do feel that uh, the two sides could and should be looking for at least a few very concrete, innovative uh, policy outputs to come from the summit. Otherwise, the summit will come up with a very predictable list of uh, generic principles of democracy and human rights, as as, as these summits uh, normally tend to do, they don't really have any tangible relevance to citizens' lives in, in either region. I think some kind of, uh, the, the EU is actually working through quite an interesting set of proposals now for um, a, a defending democracy package of measures, and so, something of the same sentiment and ethos could be um, infused into the EU Latin America summit, and there could be some concrete resources invested in this under the rubric of a fund managed perhaps equally by civil society from uh, the two regions to actually uh, interject in a very fast, flexible and agile way uh, when, when democratic processes are beginning to suffer, when democratic accountability is beginning to break down. Interestingly, both regions, regional organizations in both Latin America and the EU have talked repeatedly in recent years over the need for better early warning systems to identify when democratic quality is beginning to diminish and be diluted by government actions. But both regions have failed to actually uh, take concrete action in time before political uh, crises get really serious. So I, I think that's one area perhaps where the summit could make a concrete uh, contribution, uh, albeit recognizing that, I, I, as I say, expectations need to be kept at a reasonable level. Yes. Well, thank you for, for this. And even if we need to manage the expectations, I think these uh, specific concrete proposals are uh, are real contributions no, to the to the process and, and hopefully we can move in that direction. So thank you, Richard, for your time today and thank you for joining our podcast. Thanks, Robin. Hello again. It's a pleasure to introduce our second guest for this podcast, Maria Fernanda Espinosa. Uh, is a former Minister of Foreign Affairs of Ecuador and the 73rd President of the United Nations General Assembly. She's also an advisor of Club de Madrid and the pen holder of another paper, which is a key part of this Club de Madrid initiative supported by the Ministry for Foreign Affairs, European Union and Cooperation of Spain to strengthen the strategic relationship between the European Union and the Latin American and Caribbean region. Her paper is focused on multilateralism and global governance in the context of increasing geopolitical polarization and has a dedication to define the state of international cooperation and global governance in both regions. Welcome, Maria Fernanda. It's great to be with you today, Ruben. Thank very you. Very happy to be with you. So we are having this conversation in a context of generalized financial, climate and security crisis, as well as citizen distrust of democracy and its institutions, including, of course, multilateral organizations. And we know multilateralism has been one of the first victims of this context. Uh, a multilateralism that it was already very weakened during the pandemic. For all this, the relationship of the European Union with other regions as close as Latin America in values is essential. How are these elements and the current geopolitical status going to affect the future of the bilateral relationship? And how do you think it's important to reflect on the past of this relationship? Well, I, I think that you said it very well. We are living uh, times of crises, multiple compounding crises. And... Uh, 
what we are basically um, looking is for alternatives, for solutions. And uh, the only way to address these uh, crises, multiple crises, that are global in nature is by coming together. And uh, we have seen that uh, the idea of coming together, which seems common sense, uh, international cooperation, solidarity, a, um, you know, just to deploy our instinct of self-preservation because we are interdependent. But the truth is that it hasn't worked very well. We have uh, gone turn inwards, uh, just looking at our quote-unquote national interest. We have uh, uh, decided uh, to take decisions that only look quote-unquote at the immediate benefit of our people as nation-states, but it did not work. And COVID-19 showed us that uh, in order to be safe and healthy, we depended on others and in other countries in that uh, the virus does not understand, uh, the COVID virus did not understand national borders in the same way that uh, changes in the, the chemical composition of the atmosphere doesn't respect borders in, in, the, in the same way that uh, the migration phenomena in, in the same way that the current war in Ukraine is uh, basically causing uh, the worst crisis in uh, the cost of living. You know? So all these crises are having effects worldwide, in north and south, east and west. And, and of course, uh, the only alternative is to come together. And I think that uh, in general terms, uh, Latin America and the Caribbean, uh, 34 countries are a very powerful geopolitical partner uh, not only because of uh, the wealth of, of resources, its human capital, its uh, the geostrategic position, but uh, if we, we look at, uh, you mentioned the idea of, of, of shared uh, values, of uh, our common interest in strengthening uh, multilateralism and multilateral institutions uh, in the, in uh, working towards the improvement of the quality of life of people uh, on achieving the sustainable development goals of living in a, a conflict-free, peaceful world. Uh, these issues that, again, seem common sense are not happening as we speak. On the contrary, uh, when we look at numbers, it's uh, uh, really disheartening to see uh, all the setbacks in achieving the sustainable development goals, the setbacks in our um, mitigation commitments, decreasing uh, our, our emissions, uh, setbacks in gender equality, in poverty and extreme poverty eradication, uh, in almost every single sustainable development goal. And uh, we are living uh, in this moment 30 active conflicts worldwide with uh, unprecedented consequences, humanitarian uh, consequences in different parts of the world, including the war in Ukraine. So if today and now we do not get our act together in working in consonance 
working through concerted action, we are going to be in, in deep trouble. Mm-hmm. And do you see a specific uh, added value no, or potential for in taking to account in, in affronting these challenges of a cooperation between European uh, Union in general and the Latin American and Caribbean region? And we have an opportunity uh, to strengthen this uh, in the summit that is planned for next year. Uh, and I don't know, in your opinion, a summit like this could be uh, an opportunity again no? uh, to find some common ground no? for the, those, some of these challenges no? that you have described. Yes, and, and we have a history of common collaboration of, uh, of uh, bi-regional um, coming together, uh, strong political declarations during the last uh, bi-regional uh, summit um, in twenty. Uh, 20- I think, let me uh, double check that number, uh, but um, the, the outcome of, of that uh, bi-regional uh, summit became really a roadmap uh, for uh, the cooperation between uh, the, the two regions. Uh, and unfortunately, because of the high polarization in Latin America and the Caribbean, the weakening of uh, the regional integration systems, both sub-regional, uh, you know, the Mercosur, the Community of Andean Nations, the uh, Central American uh, integration um, system, they have all suffered from this uh, uh, very deep uh, polarization and fragmentation in, in lack of uh, of uh, spaces to process dissent because Latin America and the Caribbean, we have always been very diverse in our political projects, in our development paths. But in spite of that, we have found common ground uh, on the fundamentals. And uh, unfortunately, during this past, I would say, eight or 10 years, there has been an uh, a growing process of, of fragmentation and polarization that have really played against the regional integration mechanisms and have been, you know, they have had a, an effect in, in the way Latin America and the Caribbean talk to extra-regional partners, and one of them, of course, being the European, uh, the European Union. But there is a lot of capital, there is a lot of uh, built-in um, uh, uh, pathways, uh, joint pathways with the European Union, and we should build on that. We should use that past history. And we cannot say that the bi-regional cooperation was in paralysis, but it was like um, left a a little bit uh, in uh, standstill. And and of course, uh, you know, the, the, the mechanisms continued in the hands of the bureaucracies of the of both regions. The conversations were technical, thematic, but a high-level conversations uh, conversation between heads of state um, hasn't happened uh, in, in in a long in a long time. So it is about time. I think the situation in Latin America has improved. CELAC uh, under the presidency of Mexico and. Uh, 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 before, uh, during uh, 2019, uh, 2020, and 21, it was a it was a presidency that really tried to bring uh, the region together, in spite of the the different 
positions and perspectives. And now uh, we have a new president, which is uh, uh, Argentina. And I think that the, they're both uh, making a huge efforts in, in, in uh, really uh, bringing the region uh, together. We, we have to recall that uh, in 2021, there was uh, the first, in, in uh, several years, but the first summit, the first CELAC summit in Mexico, uh, the president uh, of uh, uh, the European Commission came, uh, was present there. So it was a sign that Europe was interested, that there was a, a, um, the intention of, of, of really uh, mending and coming together uh, again. Uh, as we speak now in October, we just had... Uh, a bi-regional dialogue among um, ministers of foreign affairs, both of uh, of Europe and uh, in Latin America in Buenos Aires, in preparation for a uh, next summit, a bi-regional summit, uh, hopefully uh, next year, by the end of this year, during the presidency of, of Spain. So I think that it's uh, the, the high-level uh, dialogue, the agenda, it's warming up uh, little by little, but because it is, as mentioned, it's uh, it's uh, so much needed. Uh, I think uh, it's it's a win-win for both uh, for both regions. They are uh, so many things where the two regions can come together. One of them, of course, is uh, uh, regarding the strengthening of the multilateral architecture and the multilateral system, the UN reform process, uh, the climate agenda, uh, the migration agenda, which is not uh, an easy one, but th there is a space for dialogue and, and, and for expressing the different views and, and perspectives. Of, of course, there is a whole opportunity on, on economic uh, cooperation in, in trade, we have to remember that the European Union has signed um, trade agreements with most of the Latin American countries. There are some remaining um, uh, areas, uh, for example, the agreement with Mercosur, but also with Mexico and Chile, that, as I understand, are in their final stages because there is a lot of complementarity uh, between uh, the two, uh, the two uh, economies. So uh, basically, uh, there is a, there is a, a lot of, uh, um, I would say, uh, untapped potentials in, in the wealth of the bi-regional bi relationship um, in, in all fronts, on the political front, uh, on the commercial and trade front, uh, and also on the joint uh, crisis solving, but also in terms of building social cohesion, uh, contributing to this uh, call for a new global social contract, I, I think that these are two regions that, that, are, that share so much, uh, share values, share history, a uh, share common understanding of, uh, of the, 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 uh, the world situation, let's say. So in, uh, I would say a, for obvious reasons, but a cultural matrix, I would say, that is uh, very much in tune with, uh, with uh, uh, Europe and Latin America. And also Latin America brings a lot of, in terms of cultural diversity, languages, 
uh, cultural expressions uh, and the incredible contribution of indigenous peoples you know, to the future of the world, not only to the indigenous people's agenda, but, you know, new keys to understand better the relationship between, for example, nature, the economy and society. So that there is so much there that uh, it's uh, still untapped. Uh, and I'm saying we have to build on what we have. We have a roadmap. We have thematic agreements that came out of the last uh, bi-regional summit. Uh, in Brussels, and uh, but the, the world has changed. Uh, we, we cannot, uh, you know, uh, deny that we are in turmoil. Uh, we are in a situation that is—it's a dire situation, uh, as mentioned. These uh, multiple converging crises require um, more alliances, more partnerships, more solidarity, and, and I think that. Uh, the two regions coming together is, is a really a powerful force uh, to, to bring that voice uh, into the, the international scenario. Well, we hope so. And um, I must say thank you very much for, for your time today, Mera Fernanda, and for your passion no, about these uh, um, efforts no, to strengthen uh, bilateral relations, but multilateralism in, in general. And I invite all listeners I mean, to, to read uh, the paper that she has prepared, and it is available in our webpage of Flat de Madrid, no, in which you can find more specific details no, about some of these proposals that Maria Fernanda has put on the table no, to strengthen these relations. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Thanks to you and to Club de, de, de Madrid.